I would like all of you to imagine a scenario as we begin this teaching on prayer. The scenario goes like this. You go to a doctor appointment. You think it's a regular checkup. Some sort of test results come back on your blood test and you're told you've got this many days, months to live. You know you're going to die. As the days get closer and your health is failing and you know that the end is right around the corner. There you are. The last few days of your life. Maybe you're at home with hospice care. Maybe you're in a hospital. But I just want you to picture yourself in that scenario and setting. And I want you to imagine you're with your closest friends and family. What would you pray? That's the scenario we find ourselves as we open our Bibles to John chapter 17 and we read the longest prayer recorded of Jesus in the scriptures. He knows he's going to die. It's just days, hours away. He's with his closest friends. What does he pray? That's what I want us to explore as we continue this third week of our mini little series as we take a small brief break from the Gospel of Matthew and try and learn how to pray together as a church family. We've covered how to pray, when and where to pray. Today we look at what. And I want you to have the privilege that I've had all week sitting at the feet of the Master and soaking in what is easily a 60-week sermon series on John 17. But we will be going low shelf, one sermon, hopefully accessible, practical, simple takeaways. But first, let's read it. And let's read it with these questions in mind that I hope that we will find. So I want you to have the outline in mind right now. If you want to throw it up on the screen, Nate. Who did he pray for? Do that briefly. But I want you to notice it before we read. Who, did he, who does Jesus pray for? You're on, the, you're on your deathbed. You know you're about to die. Who are you going to pray for? What did he pray for? That's the main thing I want to look at. And then lastly, why? Why does he pray for those things? Because he tells us why he prays for them as we read. Let's read it together. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me 
in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those who you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours. And yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now, I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be Come perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. What an excellent prayer. Sixty sermons. I don't don't think that's saying too much, guys. Sixty. I think we could squeeze out more but 60 easily. A very dense, theological, rich, practical, helpful, so many things could be said about this passage, but today the task is what 
What did Jesus pray? And that's what we want to zero in on. But first, let's just simply observe who he prayed for. Go back to that scene again. Deathbed, few days to live, a few hours. Who are you going to be praying for? So it's a somewhat long section, this chapter here. How much time does Jesus spend on himself? Some. So if we look at our first point, Jesus does pray for himself in verse 1 and verse 5. In that first paragraph you see in your Bibles, Jesus does pray for himself. But second, verses 9 to 19 show that he's going to then transition and pray for his disciples. His 12 minus 1 who just betrayed him, Judas. That's the son of destruction if you caught that point. I've, I've kept all of them except the one that was prophesied by the scripture. So the scripture would be fulfilled according to your plan, God. But I have kept all of them. He says, his disciples, he's talking about Peter, James, and John, and Philip, and Nathaniel, and these men that he selected and chose, these men that he picked after a midnight all-nighter in prayer, by the way. Go read Luke chapter 6. Jesus prayed a lot, and a lot of times we just have him being described as praying. Here we get to actually see what he prays. He's praying for these disciples, his disciples. And then lastly, If you look at verse 20, I do not ask for these only, meaning his disciples. He then transitions and spends pretty much the rest of the time talking about those who would believe through their word. So he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for their disciples. He prays for people he doesn't even know yet, personally. I mean, he is God, but I just mean on a human relational level. He's never even met these people, and he's praying for those future disciples who will believe in the word of God. And the vast majority of his praying is made up in those second two categories and not the first. Now, some of us are thinking about that deathbed scenario. And a lot of us, because of modern medicine, will experience little pain. Jesus knows the pain he is about to experience. Isn't it so interesting that he is not consumed with himself? One of the best ways to understand the soul of a person is to listen to their prayers. I hope that you will read this prayer over and over again throughout your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, you should listen to the words of this prayer. You should learn from the greatest human being that's ever walked this earth. Because the soul of this man, to be not self-absorbed in that time and hour, is way beyond you and me. So practically, I want to move on because I want to spend more of our time on the what. But practically, should we learn from this model? I think so. So here's a little chart that I made. I even hand wrote this. How's that look? Here's... Here's the first circle. Yeah, you should pray for yourself. I like to think of concentric circles, just very practically. When you pray, have you ever wondered, I don't know what to pray for. Here you go. Use this little visual and think concentrically. Start small. Start with yourself. Start with prayers for you. Start with the burdens of your heart. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, cast all of your cares upon God because he cares for you. So pray anything for yourself. We're going to talk specifically of some really great things to be asking for yourself in a moment, but I just want you to know before we dive into that, pray for whatever. All your cares, all your burdens. 
and submit yourself to God and pray for you. Pray for your family. Pray for your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters. That, that's the ourselves. I'm thinking of your more nuclear, close, family-knit peoples in that first circle. But then just like Jesus, pray for that other family that you're a part of. Brothers and sisters, I can call you. Members of Embassy Church, we are a family. And we love one another. And if we love one another, then we should care for one another and pray for each other. So, two specific encouragements. Actually, let's three. Three specific encouragements to help you pray for Embassy Church. One, if you don't have one, at the back table, there's a big stack. I printed off more. There's a stack of directories. They have pictures of people's headshots. It has their email and their phone. Pick one up and pray for Embassy Church. Pray through a sheet a day. Just take one page and pray for everybody on it. Pray for one person a day. Pray for a sheet once a week. You figure out the rhythm and pick a time, pick a place, pick maybe other people to do it with. Because remember last week's message? Where should we pray? In the church, with the church. We should care for one another because we're a family. That's the people that God created in in coming to the earth. Jesus wanted to establish a church, a family of God. So let's act like that by praying for one another, by using the directory. I think it would be so helpful for so many of us. Some of you are new and you're like, I don't know all the people in this church. I look around, maybe know maybe five people. If you pray through the directory, names and faces, names and faces, you'll start to get to know people. And then as a little side encouragement, send them a text message or email and say, hey, I was praying for you. I love you, brother or sister. That could get weird though, right? But a good weird, a good weird. So that's encouragement number one. Get a directory and pray through it to some sort of regularity. Second encouragement. We have a Wednesday evening prayer meeting at 6.30 and we pray for the church. We meet at Christian Liberty Academy. All are welcome. You can come anytime. Every Wednesday, if you would like to come and pray, Meet us at 6.30. I can give you details if you're interested. Third suggestion, right before this service at 10 a.m., Embassy Church, from its founding, wanted to be a church that was not primarily about you listening to a couple people on a stage, but you hearing from the church body and family in some venue or format that's not just small groups. Small groups are great. We have several of them. You can pray in small groups. They all do pray for each other. But in order to be a church where you feel like you're a part of this whole body, how do we do that when it's just primarily Phil and Adam and a couple people reading scriptures and praying? Like, how do we get to know the whole church and pray for them and their needs? Well, we created something called our Breakfast Prayer Fellowship Hour. And there is nothing special about it. In some weeks, I'm sure you'd come and be like, okay, that wasn't, that wasn't knocking my socks off. But for those of you that come regularly, This is what you tell me. When you miss for a few weeks, you're feeling like you're left out. You're feeling like you're missing out. You're feeling like there's something like, I need to connect with the church again. And so I want to really strongly encourage that if you don't have one of these three prayer practices, the church directory, the Wednesday prayer meeting, or the 10 a.m. gathering, that you might consider doing one of those and praying for your church. Thirdly, let's pray for the nations. We should pray for the nations because our mission is to go to the nations with the gospel. The last part of this prayer 
is about those who would believe in the word that is preached. And you can see in this text that Jesus is praying, if you look at verse 21, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world would believe that you have sent me. Jesus cares about the world and the nations. And some people might be like, well, I don't know if he does. Because look at verse 9. He says in verse 9, I am praying for them, my 12, 11 disciples. I am not praying for the world. See, Jesus doesn't care about the world. Rubbish. It's just a way of contrasting. Right now, in my prayer, I am praying for these disciples, not for the world. That's coming next. Because through these disciples, that will be the way the mission of God goes to the world. The plan for God's rescue mission is the church. So therefore, he prioritizes praying for the church and then praying for future churches and future Christians for the sake of the world. So when you're praying for the world, I would encourage you to think about not just praying for the world broadly, but praying for Christians around the world. Because the best thing for the world is for more churches to be established all around the world. And right now, there are two plus billion The last number I saw was 2.8 billion people who have never even heard about Jesus. Billions. That was not million. That was billions of people. Never even heard about Jesus. And you won't care about them if you're never praying for them. So, I want to say this at least once, if not multiple times in this message. I'd like you to be thinking about not just praying to God, but because of this prayer. In John 17, I want you to pray with God. Did you catch that? Jesus prays these things for these people and for these matters that we're about to discuss next, what he prays for. But just let that sink in. You can pray with God. The incarnate Son of God has given us a prayer and modeled for us. And when you join your voice with his... You're not just praying to God, you're praying with God himself. If you start thinking about prayer that way, I think it it might start warming your heart more to the, the mystery and the beauty and the excellency of prayer. So question one, who did he pray for? Himself, his disciples, their disciples. Question two, what did Jesus pray for? And there's, there's a few different things he explicitly says. There's many different statements he makes in this prayer. But if I could sum it up, two, two things he prays for. First, for his own glory. He prays for the glory of Christ. Second, he prays for the protection and perseverance of the Christians. And then in our last point, we're going to see Why? Why does he pray for those things? He explains why. But let's stop here and say what, because that's one of the main hopes of this message. What kind of things should we pray for? In one sense, I'm hoping that it's very obvious to you that you too should pray for the glory of Christ. But in another sense, I don't think you should pray this same prayer that Jesus is praying. Because in essence, look at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, The hour has come. 
which every time John uses this phrase, the hour, it's a reference to Jesus' soon upcoming death. Read through John's gospel. It's a great book, by the way. We're doing a class on it on Saturday mornings. If you'd like to dive deep into John the next two weeks, Saturday morning, 8 a.m., John's gospel, big overview. The hour is an important word to talk about the death of Jesus in John. So the hour that has come, it means the time has come. It's time for me to come and climactically fulfill what you have called me to do, namely, to die. You probably shouldn't pray, Father, glorify me as I save the world. Do you see what I'm saying here? That's pretty much what Jesus is praying. He's praying, Father, it is time for me to complete this rescue operation of saving the entire world because I am the Son of God, so bring glory to me through these actions. Not appropriate for you. Our prayers should be more like John the Baptist who says, he must increase and, and I must decrease. May his glory be magnified and made much of in our lives. Or can I remind you of another familiar prayer that we often call the Lord's Prayer? This prayer might be a better Lord's Prayer because it's actually a prayer from the Lord that he prays. And it's a nice, thick, long prayer. But, but notice the similarities here. Our Father, who is in heaven, first prayer request that Jesus teaches you and I to pray. What is it? Hallowed be your name. Bring glory, honor, fame, hallowing to your name. Is that, is that your first default prayer when you're praying in any situation. Not even talking about the most difficult waning moments of trial and suffering and pain and the very moments before you die. Is, is that what you'd be praying? I want the glory of God in all things. At the very end of John, in John chapter 21, Jesus is having a conversation and he's talking about a death. And in that death, he's going to talk about how someone will glorify God in his death, one of his disciples. So in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And he said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say that he was not to die. But if it was my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is a good example of do you want to pray as the baseline, bottom prayer, all of your prayers, whether you're going to die or not die, God, just be glorified. Some of you are going to get sick. Is it okay for you to pray for sickness? Go to James 5. Last week, we talked about James 5. If anyone is sick among you, what should we do? We should pray for healing. 
So yes, it's okay. Will all of you get healed immediately, instantaneously, miraculously? The majority of you may not. I think it's important for us to keep in mind that we can glorify God in our death and in our suffering and in our perseverance through the most difficult trials and persecutions, and that's exactly why Jesus prays for their protection and perseverance. He doesn't say, God, don't let them die. Don't let me die. I don't need to die. He doesn't pray those kind of things. He doesn't try and stop the suffering. And again, there's a sense to which you probably shouldn't take this prayer as a one-for-one and be like, well, I should never pray for dying and, and rescue and health and it's, it's perfectly legitimate to pray for those things. But I fear that too many of us only pray for those things. And they're not underneath or undergirded or founded under the banner of God. I want healing. Miraculously heal. But I want your glory most. That is the desire of Jesus here. That is the longing of his heart. And that is how he is praying for himself And that is how he is praying for his disciples. Let's look more specifically at verses 11, 15, and 17 as he prays for his disciples. In verse 11, notice the language here. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. That's that's one of the clear, specific requests of Jesus in this prayer. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Drop down to verse 15. Notice again a very specific prayer here. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. Again, the Lord's prayer was back in my mind. I was thinking, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil. We're seeing Jesus pray on his quote-unquote, deathbed as he's in the last hours of his life. He prayed these words. I think we should be praying these words in our life and in our death every day. God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. One other very obvious thing that we should observe is that there is a desire amongst the biblical prayers for your holiness and godliness and your being in step with God and his presence and his spirit more so than almost any other thing that the Bible prays for. So look lastly at verse 17 on this point of what did Jesus pray for and notice that he wants protection and perseverance and holiness. In verse 17 he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. If you're ever praying through the directory, and you're going through, and you're like, I don't even know this person, then just pray that they would become sanctified in the truth. It's a good prayer. Just steal it from Jesus. You don't even have to give him credit. I don't think he's going to mind. Now, I want to do a brief little quick survey here. I want you to just see and hear. You can follow along if you want. I'm going to turn quick. But I just want you to start hearing prayers from the Bible. 
What kind of things do they pray for? And see if they don't match the, the tenor and the spirit of what we find here in Jesus. I'm going to flip first to Ephesians chapter 1. If you want to turn there in Ephesians 1. There's a prayer from Paul in Ephesians 1 for a church. So similar to Jesus. What does Jesus care about? What is Jesus longing and praying for? What's at the core of his soul? Listen to Paul. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So there you have it. Paul praying for the Ephesian church, and he's thanking, and he's remembering. What are you praying, Paul? Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness in his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not even in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What did Paul just pray? That you would know the glorious inheritance of the gospel. That's his prayer, which is really interesting. I was like, you ever have those moments when you're reading or studying the Bible? I hope you do. They're really good. Maybe it's happening right now. Hopefully it happens now, where you're like, this is good, like a gem. In chapter one, Paul says that there is an inheritance, an inheritance that we receive. It's amazing. In chapter 1, he's going to talk about this glorious inheritance, and then he's going to pray for an inheritance. So look, look at verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He's talking about you and I, the church. We have an inheritance because of Jesus. When you're adopted into a family, you now get all the riches of that family's inheritance. And when you're the son or, or daughter of the king of the universe, this is a good inheritance. That's, Paul is not praying that you would know your inheritance. That's not what he's praying. That would be a good prayer though, wouldn't it? Like we just say, that's a good thing. We should meditate on the great riches we have in Jesus. No, no, no. Look carefully. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, verse 18, that you may know what is the hope which he has called you, what are the riches of, here's where it is, his inheritance. This is the moment when you drop your Bible and you go, we, we are his inheritance. We have an inheritance, but Paul is praying that you would know his inheritance, namely you. Friends, preach yourself the gospel. 
by reading over prayers and then praying for people in this church and for the church abroad that they would know that you are God's inheritance. We're excited about being in his family. He's excited about you being in his family. It's an inheritance. Let's do one more example. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We, we could do this all day. This is fun, right? Colossians 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because the hope laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which you have come to you, as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. What are you praying, Paul? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Another great prayer. What's he praying? That you would know and be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I think, you can do this, I've done this. I've looked at every prayer in the New Testament by Jesus or by the apostles. And I laid them all out on a document. And I said, what did they pray for? And there's only one time in all of the Bible that I can find where they prayed for your good health. Once. It's in 3 John. One of those little letters at the end of the Bible that we don't normally read that often because they're small and they're kind of tucked away. And we just jump forward to Revelation, whatever, you know. They're like this. This is what Jesus taught his apostles to pray like because this is how he prayed. He'd pray for himself, sure. He prayed for the church. He'd pray that the church would be unified, knowing the love of God, so entwined with the Father and the Son and the Spirit in them that they would know God's love deeply and richly and that this would show the world that Jesus is God's plan of salvation and bringing that salvation. So friends, I want to encourage you that if you are new to prayer, very simple, very basic, take John 17, take the Lord's Prayer, take Colossians chapter 1, take Ephesians chapter 1, take Philippians chapter 1. There are lots of prayers in the Bible where people are inspired by the Spirit of God. And just substitute you Instead of it being Paul praying this, be like, Father, I pray this. Put your name in there. And if you have nowhere else to go, nothing else to think of, no other way to pray, pray the Bible. 
Pray over the scriptures and add people's names to it. I pray that Nate and Amanda Prater will be filled with the knowledge of your will, God. I pray that each member, and you just go through the line, and you start praying scriptures over them. This is a great way to learn the basics of prayer, is praying scriptures. And, and here's where you're like, you can't go wrong. You will know that you're praying in the will of God. You will know that he will hear you and that this will be appropriate. And you know that he's going to answer these things. And so I would strongly urge that if you've got very limited experience or knowledge of how to pray, use the Bible, change the pronouns, personalize it, and just pray a few words or sentences. Prayers do not need to be hours long. They really don't. Most of you don't literally have the time for that. And that's not a guilt trip. Like, some of you should make more time for prayer. I know John Piper said something like, one of the great uses of social media at the end of the age when Jesus brings all things to bear in judgment will be that we did not pray because of lack of time. Facebook and Twitter will be a great example to show us that. You know, One use of those social media devices will be prayer was not because of a lack of time. So here's the point, though. I, I want all of you to grow in your longings and prayers for the things of God like Jesus prays for. I want that this church is not just putting on slogans and taglines on our banners, like this one right here. We exist to glorify Christ by making disciples of all nations, but that, friends, would be the embodiment of our actual prayers. We long for it regularly from this weekly gathering in our downstairs 10 o'clock service, in our Wednesday night prayer time, in our small group discussions, in your own individual prayer closet. Friends, let's pray for the glory of Christ in the life of the church for the sake of the nations. That's why we exist. That's been the first thing we talked about on day one of this church in Sam and Erica's living room on September 7th, 2013. I don't think we should move on from it. Here we are. Six and a half years later, I propose it's still good. We exist. We long for the glory and supremacy of Jesus, his honor, his fame, so that the church would reverence him and honor him for the sake of the nations. That's what Jesus prayed for. That's who Jesus prayed for. Lastly, finally, why? Why did Jesus pray for these things? Especially, start with that first thing we mentioned. Jesus prayed for himself, which is okay. It's right. It's fine. But when you think about what he prayed for for himself, it's kind of like, well, did he really pray for himself? Like the way you and I would think about praying for ourselves, it's like, give me this job. Let me have better health. Let my kids stop being annoying to me. Whatever those things that it's just you're thinking about. Jesus, when he prays for himself, notice the logic here in verse 1. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that. Here's why I'm praying this. Glorify your son so that the son can bring glory to you, Father. Jesus prays for his glory so that it would maximize the Father's glory. And this, my friends, I think is some of the deep theology of our Trinitarian prayers. You and I 
are Christians because the Father made a plan that the Son executed and the Spirit applied to your heart. So by the stirrings of the Spirit, pray in the name of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. This is, this is worship. Worship is God the Father through the sending of the Son, through the applying of the Spirit, saves and rescues the world. In our response to that, through the empowerment of the Spirit, in the name and through the access of our one mediator, Jesus Christ, we come to the Father. Because even Jesus himself prays for his glory, not just for his own sake, but for the sake of his Father. There's a lot there, isn't there? Do you see why this is 60 sermons? There's a lot. So first, he prays for his glory, ultimately so that it glorifies the Father. Secondly, look at verse 10. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now remember, this is right after verse 9 where he says, I'm not just praying for the world in general. I'm praying for these that you have given me, my disciples, because I know that through them that will bless the world. So I'm praying for them, God. And then he says, because through them I will be glorified. He's praying for the disciples because he knows that if the disciples persevere and are protected from the evil one and they have faith that is sanctified through the word and they're unified as one and they love each other because they've received the love of the Father, he knows that that will bring glory to Jesus. And that glory will reach up to the Father. So he prays for us so that it brings glory to Jesus. Are you noticing a theme? Jesus wants the Father to be glorified. So he prays for his death to glorify the Father. He prays that the church would glorify the Father through their witness, and particularly through their unity, which is the last observation. Look at 17, verses 11, and then drop down to 21. So first 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. So that was that big phrase. He's praying, God, keep them, preserve them, protect them in your name. Help them be steadfast. Why? So that they would be one. That they may be one at the end of verse 11, even as you and I are one. The unity of the church should reflect the unity of the Trinitarian relationships of God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. That's dense. Chew on that, but, but that's the reason. The reason that he is praying for your keeping and your perseverance is so that you would become one. So we would stick together. So we'd love each other. So not quickly get offended. So we would persevere through sinning against one another and coming to the church and reconciling and displaying that the gospel is bigger and it reconciles and it humbles all of us and we're not better than others and and that we could be one even with different classes of society and different ethnicities and different ages and different generations. That's what the church should be like. But look around at America. Oh, the grieving heart of Jesus when he looks around and sees how quickly we separate and divide over silliness. Well, I don't like the music. 
You read this prayer and think, well, I want this kind of music. That's going to divide the church. We are so easily divided. Friends, I hope you see that Jesus' longing is that we would become one as the Father and the Son are one. Look at verse 21, last verse. I do not only ask this for my disciples, verse 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their preaching of the word. Verse 21, so that they too would all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world will believe that you have sent me. When the church acts like a faithful, biblical, unified church, And doesn't seek its own glory and praise, but seeks only the praise of the Father through the Son by the empowerment of the Spirit. Then the world knows that's different. That's different when a rich man acts and talks and spends time with a poor, poor man in the church. And doesn't act like they're better or superior. That's different. We're one. We're not better than each other. Just as the Father and the Son are equally God, they're one. If you see the Son, you see the Father. If you see the Father, you're seeing the Son. Distinct persons, distinct people, but one. So here's how I'd like to conclude our message. I want you to look at verse 19, and I want you to meditate. Jesus prays for you. And I want you to not just pray to God, I want you to pray with God. I want you to pray for consecration and holiness. But notice this in verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. How is Jesus' prayer going to be answered? How is the thing he's longing for, the glory of Christ, protection and perseverance, sanctification and holiness, how's it going to happen? By Jesus' own consecration, his own sanctification and being made holy. And you'd be thinking, wait, but Jesus didn't sin. Why would he need to be made holy? The word holiness is the word at its very root and core is to be cut to be separated. I think Jesus is referring to here in verse 19, and so for their sake, on their behalf, I am going to cut myself off so that they can be made holy. Jesus' hour had come. And even though there are other stories of Scripture where he, he says, Father, take this cup, ultimately, we know from this prayer We know from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, for the joy set before him, he took on the cross. His hour comes and he says, Father, let's do this. I will consecrate myself for them because I know that they are your inheritance and we love them with the same love that's between us. We love them. The more that your heart is soaking like a nice bath. You're just soaking in the bath of Jesus' love for you. He was cut off so that you could be included in. 
He prayed this prayer and was abandoned by the Father, cut off and forsaken so that you and I could have the privilege of prayer. So may there not be overwhelming guilt trips inspiring our prayers. May they be driven by gospel grace as we know the amazing privilege that has been given to us through the gospel, through Jesus' self-sacrifice on your behalf, I will do this. And may we become a church that because there is nothing that we can do to accomplish our salvation on our own, that we see this cut off that Jesus experienced was everything that was needed for our sanctification and holiness. Therefore, may all glory and praise go to him. Let's pray together. So now we pray, Father. We come to you as our heavenly Father. And we come in the name of your Son, Jesus. We come because Jesus has come to us. And we pray on his, on, on behalf of him, on no other standing, no other footing would we dare speak to you now, God. We know who we are, sinners. We know that we need sanctified and made holy. We know and we admit and confess, God, that we need salvation. And so we pray with thanks in our hearts that you have provided all of that salvation through the work of Jesus as he consecrated himself in his hour of death. We thank you that Jesus provides the way to pray through his death, provides the model of prayer through his words here, provides the encouragement to pray, through sending the Spirit to guide us and convict us and stir us. And so we ask that as a church, that Embassy Church, our heart would beat and long for the things that your heart beats and longs for, that we would sing and celebrate and long for the glory of God the Father, of Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May you be honored and praised now as we sing as we take the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.